Open up to Ezekiel 36. We're going to be reading verses 16 from 36.16 through Ezekiel 37.14. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. To me their way was like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. Therefore, I poured out my fury on them for the blood they had shed the land and for their idols with which they had defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, These are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather out of all countries, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then... You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. I will call for the grain and multiply it, and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields, so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations." Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, 
I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock, like a flock offered as holy sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem on its feast days. So shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and let me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, they were, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you, and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, a sudden, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, and, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet, and an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to have the word open before us. Thank you, Mark, for the reading. Appreciate the, the life in the reading of the word this morning. Appreciate that. Friends, there ought to be life when we read God's word. It ought to be there. Okay, this is his word. Uh, excited to share what uh, the Lord has given to me uh, from Ezekiel 37. There are a lot of wonderful things here for us to, to learn from the Lord. So uh, let's pray together and then let's, let's dive in to the word. Father, we are grateful this morning for your presence with us. 
And Father, we ask this morning that you would breathe through your Holy Spirit upon this place, upon each one here. I pray, Lord, your breath of life would be infused in each one. And Father, we might be able to live. For as we see, Lord, in the text, life comes as your Spirit enters into us. Where your Spirit is not present, there is no life. So, Father, I pray you would help us to hear this morning. Give us ears to hear your message of truth, that we might walk in the power and strength, Lord, you've called us to walk in in these days that you've given to us. We pray, Lord, your word would do its work. Your promise is that it will accomplish the very purpose for which it's sent. And this morning I stand upon that, Lord, as I proclaim your word, that each one here would hear your word. Father, they would be taught by you and your good spirit this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the curtain opens on Ezekiel 37. And and when it opens, we are taken along with Ezekiel to a valley. And the text tells us how he arrived there. If you look at the beginning part of verse 1, the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. When we start asking some questions right up front in chapter 37, what is it that came upon Ezekiel? The hand of the Lord. By what means was he brought? It was by the means of the spirit of the Lord. And where was it that he was set down? He was set down in the midst of a valley. The text also tells us what he immediately saw. The end of verse 1, it says, It was full of what? Bones. It was full of bones. Now the Lord makes sure that Ezekiel has a good view of the bones that are before him. So the text says, In verse 2, then he caused me, he caused me to pass by them all around. So, for example, this morning, if this podium, this pulpit here was representative of the bones, he caused Ezekiel, he caused Ezekiel to get a good look all around. To take a look at what was before him. I was reminded how today with technology that's in place, if you have bought a home recently, or perhaps you just like looking online at homes, you might notice that when you go online, there's, in some of the homes, you can actually click buttons and see videos and actually have a walkthrough of that home. In fact, you can be looking at a specific place in that living room and you can do a pan all the way around that room, and you can see everything that's there. Sort of like the cameras we have today. Some of the cameras have that feature. It's called a panoramic setting, view. So you can get this big, huge, wide view of everything. Well, that's sort of what was going on here. He's been able to have this comprehensive view Of what's before him. And so Ezekiel's assessment of this comprehensive view is given to us in the text. He says in verse 2 Behold, 
there were very many bones in the open valley. And notice these bones were not underground. These bones were above ground. These bones were visible to his eyesight. He was able to see these bones. And he says, indeed, they were very dry. Very many, very dry. Lots of bones, lots of dry bones. Imagine, upon that detailed examination, what Ezekiel might have wondered. I was thinking about that this week as I'm reading the text and studying it. And one of the things I thought that Ezekiel could perhaps be thinking at this moment, after his assessment, what is it that God is teaching me this time? And boy, this is so instructive because... As we arrive at Ezekiel 37, I would hope that you know, and maybe you read Ezekiel up to this point, and you've already found out that God has been speaking to Ezekiel for quite a while now. God has been talking to him. He's been leading him. He's been showing him a lot of things. This is but one of many visions God has given to Ezekiel. And so I'm wondering, as he takes this assessment, looks at these bones, I'm wondering if Ezekiel's thinking, Lord, what are you teaching me this time? And I got to thinking about how shouldn't that also be true of us today? That whenever we find ourselves in a situation that doesn't make sense, that we don't fully understand, we can't maybe in the initial understand fully why we're here in this place. Wouldn't it be great if we thought that, God, what are you going to teach me this time? What are you going to teach me? What is it you're going to show me? I don't know what it is right now, but asking of God, what are you going to teach me? I think also as Ezekiel is standing there, he's probably asking, what are all these bones doing in this valley? Perhaps he's even thinking to himself, whose bones are these? All right? There's a collection of bones. Who do these bones belong to? And at some point, following the panoramic assessment from Ezekiel, the text says that God speaks. He poses a question of his own to Ezekiel. Look at verse 3. He said to me, Son of man, by the way, son of man is, is referenced some 90 times in Ezekiel, for Ezekiel, son of man. And, and some have said that Ezekiel is a, a sort of a type for the Lord Jesus Christ because you remember in the Gospels how the Lord Jesus Christ refers to himself. His own self-designation is what? Son of man. And so here, son of man is used for Ezekiel. God says, son of man. Can these bones live? Can these bones live? I would like to have seen the facial expression from Ezekiel after God's question here. I would love to have seen how he responded to this. After seeing this lifeless pile of bones before him, God asks him if these bones can live. Think about the question. Think about what he's just surveyed. If we push pause for just a moment on the text, Ezekiel 37 is one, as I said earlier, it's one of several recorded visions for us in Ezekiel. But I want to point out for just a moment the first one. If you go back to the beginning of Ezekiel, chapter 1. In chapter 1, I'd like to point out his first vision. He's 30 years old. He's a captive serving alongside his people at the river Kibar in Babylon. 
And the book opens, the text says in verse 2 of chapter 1, it opens in the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, which places us on the timeline of events somewhere in the neighborhood of 592 B.C. The hand of the Lord, the text says, it says right here in verse 3, 2 and 3, it's talking about verse 3, the end of 3, the hand of the Lord was upon him. And Ezekiel here in chapter 1, I want you to, he receives, note this, this is so important. In chapter 1, his, his initial assignment is not what's given first. Here's what he gets first. This is why I think it's so important for us to see this in Ezekiel 1. Ezekiel is first given a vision of God himself. He's allowed to get a picture of God, the glory of God, right out of the gate. And so the precursor to speaking to the house of Israel in captivity is a picture of the Almighty God. Ezekiel is taken to his knees, look at verse 28, like the appearance of chapter 1. Like the appearance of a rainbow and a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. You see, the presence of God in his life came before the mission. You read Ezekiel chapter 2 and Ezekiel chapter 3, and that lays out Ezekiel's mission, his call. Here's what you're to do, Ezekiel. And as if God needed to show himself again, he reminds Ezekiel about his presence a second time in chapter 3, verses 12, 13, and 14. See, before carrying out his mission, he hears the same noises. He hears a thunderous voice. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 12, the Spirit lifted me up and I heard behind me a great thunderous voice. Blessed is the glory of the Lord from his place. So you see, God's presence goes before Ezekiel. And God then calls his servant to mission. And then God reaffirms his presence upon sending him. Now, I pause here in Ezekiel 37 because I wanted to make sure that each of you knew of Ezekiel's context. You see, he knows the Lord as we open the pages of Ezekiel 37. He knows the Lord. He's heard from him on several occasions at this point. And the question that comes in chapter 37, verse 3, which, by the way, is the central question of the text. It's the central question of the text. Son of man, can these bones live? That question comes from the Lord who has already shown Ezekiel a picture and caused him to circle around what it is he wants Ezekiel to survey. He wants Ezekiel to get a good look at this valley of dry bones before him. Can these bones live? Now the text doesn't mention here any delay in Ezekiel's response. The text doesn't mention or describe Ezekiel's body language, facial expression. Doesn't tell us about any inner stirrings, perhaps, that he might have had upon hearing the question from God. The text simply tells us what he said. Here's what he said to the question. Oh, Lord God, you know. You know, as we sit and we listen to his answer, it's a very brief answer, very short answer, just a few words. But I do believe Ezekiel got the right answer. 
I believe that was the best answer at the time for Ezekiel to have and give. Oh, Lord God, you know. You know. Now, you know, as I was considering his answer, I got to thinking about uh, my own context and, and how, what would I have said here? In fact, if we just take it a step further and come outside for just a bit and we look into the text and we see anytime God is asking a question, I get a little nervous because, see, God doesn't ask me a question because he doesn't know the answer. God is always about asking questions, it seems like in the text, to test you and me, to test us, right? Remember the day when they had the fish and the bread and we got all these people. Hey, we've got to feed all these people. And the John's gospel says he did this to test because he already knew what he was going to do. And so he asked the question, can these bones live? The Lord knows what's going to happen. The Lord knows the answer. Ezekiel gives a very good response. Lord, you know. And I think about my own context and I realize there are a lot of things, friends, that I don't know. I look around and I survey this group here in front of me. And it seems like a bunch that probably, if truth be told, you all don't know a whole lot either. We're all in the same camp. There are a lot of things we don't know. But the God that we serve, we can learn something here, I believe, from Ezekiel's brief response. You know. Instead of analyzing the question or asking a follow-up question or seeing if God could ask a different question, Ezekiel says, Lord, you know whether these bones can live. You see, he's shown a valley full of dry bones. He's, listen, he's set in the midst of in the context of death. That's what's around him. These bones. This, it would have been a very eerie place, wouldn't it? Just to have been dropped, set in this valley. Not with people that you can talk to, but this is a pile of dry bones. He's placed right in the midst of death. Picture of death. And then he's asked whether these dry bones can live. You see, in their present scattered state, life seems impossible. In their disconnected, disjointed state, life appears to be a non-factor. But isn't that, friends, isn't that what oftentimes gets us into trouble? We, we oftentimes are thinking earthly and we seldom consider what heaven can do. We seldom consider what God might be able to do. In fact, we see that the Bible and even the passage this morning that was already read, but Jesus himself, you know, we, we think about all things are possible with whom? With God. All things. So what follows, I believe, is God's answer to his own question. I love this. God's answer to his own question is what follows. He's going to, listen, he's going to work out the problem for Ezekiel to see. How many of you like math in here? Any math people? A few of you. Okay? Well, in math, you're doing some algebra, you're doing some higher level math. It's one thing to get the answer. But the teacher wants to know. What's the teacher want to know? You already know where I'm going with this. The teacher wants to know, how did you get there? How'd you arrive at the answer? The answer looks good. It's the correct answer. But how did you get there? Show your work. 
Ezekiel gets the right answer. You know. For God truly does know, amen? He knows. That's the right answer. And yet God, listen, God is not only going to show his work for Ezekiel. But he's going to include Ezekiel in working out the problem before him. Love this. This is, this is so wonderful to see. See, God doesn't have to use us, but he does. He does. He's teaching Ezekiel about these bones that are around him. What looks dead can actually be brought to life. What appears to be hopeless can be life-giving. And as we learn from the Lord in the midst of Ezekiel's vision, I believe we'll discover the meaning of the bones for Ezekiel's context. But I'd also like you to see the multiple meanings as well for your life, even yet today. You see, God may have you in a lifeless place right now. Notice Ezekiel is in this valley because the hand of the Lord is upon him. Don't miss that. It's right in verse 1. The hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord upon you, friends, doesn't always mean that he's going to take you to a mountaintop experience. The hand of the Lord upon you, it's not always filled with blessings and prosperity and wonderful times of rejoicing. The hand of the Lord might have you right now in your own valley situation. The hand of the Lord may have you there. And maybe the Lord is asking a question of you in the valley. Perhaps he wants to show his work in your life this morning, exposing himself to you in a way that only this current context could teach you. It may very well be that he has you in your valley for the sole purpose of seeing him. He desires for you to look to him. Perhaps he desires to use your situation to increase your faith, to broaden your trust in him. That's oftentimes the case when he places us in the context of trials. And so perhaps this morning it's good to ask the question, do you know this God of whom we read about this morning? Do you know him? God commands Ezekiel to prophesy on three specific occasions, okay? There's three specific occasions he's commanding Ezekiel to prophesy. To prophesy, not, not in a way of, of predicting the future, but prophesying, speaking as a spokesperson of God to the people, to the bones, to the breath, as we'll see. God, through his prophet Ezekiel, is going to show his work. Ezekiel says, you know, Lord... God is working out the right answer of Ezekiel right before his eyes. He's showing him right before his eyes. And so the first step, we think about working this out. We got the answer. We're working out the answer. First step we see in the text. Prophesy to these bones. Verse 4. Prophesy to these bones. Spurgeon says if Ezekiel had not had faith, he certainly would not have preached to dry bones for they make a dull congregation. Amen? It's true. 
and, and, and maybe we haven't ever thought of it like that before. God is telling him to prophesy, to speak the word, his word, to this pile of dry, lifeless bones. Now, if we take a step back for a moment, there are many of us in here who would probably hesitate maybe at least this much when we got that command from God. We would maybe be inclined to say, God, these are bones. But we don't see that response from Ezekiel, do we? What do we see instead? We see obedience. We see obedience. I think we need to remember God's test question. Can these bones live? Can that which appears to be dead ever live? We look at the text. Look at verses 4, 5, and 6. He says, prophesy to these bones and say to them. Here's what I want you to say, God says. O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. That's the quick answer. And then he's going to elaborate on it right here. I will, here's what he's going to do. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. And so God gives Ezekiel his own words to speak, which is a praise to God because I'm sure Ezekiel was at a loss at where to begin prophesying to a pile of dry, dead bones. God gave him exactly the words he needed to speak. Hear the word of the Lord. Starting point for living, isn't it? Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God. He says, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. Sinews, flesh, skin covering. I'm going to put breath in you and you shall live. So the first step for Ezekiel and really the first step for his children even today is the use of the word. Hearing of the word of the Lord. Friends, do you believe that hearing the word of the Lord changes anything in your life? Faith comes by what? Hearing. We know this. We've said this on many occasions. But do you believe it to be true? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. The word of God being heard, taken in, having ears to hear, changes lives. Question is, do you readily respond to thus says the Lord? If not, perhaps that explains your dry state. Perhaps it, it explains your spiritual deadness. Perhaps it explains your lifeless state. See, God gives Ezekiel the very words to speak to his dead audience. This conversation that was called upon to take place to a pile of bones. It took faith, friends. And the Lord in his word calls us today, does he not? To cause us to walk by what? Faith, not by sight. It'd have been a lot easier for Ezekiel to receive the command if there would have been real flesh and bone people standing there before him. All that was there before him, though, was a pile of dry bones. And it didn't, I'm sure, make sense to him in the moment. You want me to speak to that? faith faith in action we need to remember that his word is living and powerful right 
And we, we can take that idea and concept and go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 where God spoke. When he spoke, things came into being. When he spoke, they appeared. God's word is powerful. And God gives Ezekiel the words to speak, but I want you to notice that he also explains how these things are going to happen. Sometimes God doesn't give us the how. Sometimes we want to know the how, but God doesn't tell us the how. Here he actually gives them how this is going to happen. They're going to live. How are they going to live? He tells the dry bones how their dry state is going to be transformed. They are about to go from dry, dead bones to walking, breathing, spirit-filled bones full of life. That's what God's saying. That's what's going to happen. Look at verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. Don't overlook Ezekiel's obedience to the Lord's command. Ezekiel obeys. He obeys in the context of something that seems absolutely ridiculous, absolutely absurd. He's prophesying to a pile of dry bones. But he obeys. In your life, friends, there are going to be times when the Lord, through his word, says something that you ought to be doing, you need to be doing as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in your context, it might not make a whole lot of sense why you ought to be doing this. But instead of questioning God, who's the potter, and you're the clay, we need to remember where we stand. We are aligned underneath God. And when he speaks to us, we are going to be most helpful and useful to him as we obey. Trust and obey, for there is no other way. To be happy in Jesus. Trust him and obey. Verses 7 and 8 in the text show the reader what Ezekiel saw. I love this. Here's what he saw as he was prophesying to the bones. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over. Get this picture here. Scattered bones all of a sudden become connected bones. Ezekiel's not a stranger to hearing noises from God. If you read Ezekiel chapter 1, there was a few noises that he heard on that day. And there's a different kind of noise happening here as this great pile of scattered bones start connecting one to another. They're connecting. What was a bunch of fragmented bones now becomes a framework being put together. Bone by bone. And he starts to see sinews. He starts to see flesh. And he starts to see skin. And now I would love to see his facial expression. As he's prophesying, he's seeing God working right in the moment. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them over. Church, What do you notice about Ezekiel's description thus far in 7 and 8? I hope there's something that stands out to you. What he saw 
is exactly what God said he was going to do. God said he was going to breathe life into them. He was going to cover them. He was going to put sinews in flesh. God told Ezekiel to prophesy those very things. And now he's prophesying. And as he's prophesying, bone comes to bone. Sinews start to form. Flesh starts to form. Skin covers the flesh. It's happening. It's happening just like God said it would. Friends, when we take up the word, do we believe that what he has said, you actually do? That's faith. Do we live by faith? Believing that his word changes things. Do we expect God to work through his word? Chapter 37, verse 8 ends with this sentence. But there was no breath in them. The bones have come together. Sinews have formed. Flesh has formed. Skin has covered them. But they're still lying. I get the picture. They're still lying like this. No breath in them. So the text says there was no breath in them. So we said, wait a minute. God said that he would cause these bones to live. And even mentioned something to Ezekiel about putting breath in them that they might live. Has God, has God, has he forgotten something? Has he left something out? The Lord is working this out for Ezekiel to see. And for us today to see. And herein is the second step. You know, as as he's working this out for Ezekiel and including Ezekiel in the process, there's a second step here to working this out. We see this in verse 9. He says, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they might live. So prophesy to the bones, and now he's commanding prophesy to the breath. The valley now is full of flesh and bone bodies, but lifeless. No breath in them. Bones were connected, sinews, flesh, skin covering. From the inside out, the Lord, through his word, is building something. And you know what? He's still doing that today. He still works today from the inside out. That's why it's so hard to fake being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You might be able to put on a good front. You might be able to put on a happy face for a time. But it's the interior that matters to God. He says that to Samuel. As they're about to look at the next king. And, oh, this Eliab must be the one. He's tall, he's handsome, he's, he's, the, he's the picture. And God says, no, you've got it all wrong because I don't look and evaluate things by the exterior. It's the heart. It's on the inside. And here we get a picture of God working this out for Ezekiel and for us. He's working it out and he's showing how he takes a, a, a pile of lifeless bones and he starts from the inside. And he's building something. And he continues to build something, 
even in the church today, the word in Ephesians has in mind that God is building his church. He's building the parts together. That's what God's doing. Look at verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me. Once again, note Ezekiel's obedience to God's command. And when he spoke God's word to the breath, what happened? It says, breath came into them. Verse 10. Breath came into them and they lived and they stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. Now, it's right here in this second step as God is working this out for Ezekiel and for us, the audience today, the listener. I take you back to Genesis because I, I believe that what's going on here ties in directly to what happened back in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the creation of man. I love this verse because it helps us explain, helps explain what's going on perhaps here in Ezekiel. It helps us understand God didn't just forget to put the breath in the first time. In Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. He formed him. Step one. Then what happened? And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. You see this creative two-step principle at work right here in Ezekiel 37. Prophesy to these bones, and they take shape, and they look the part of man. And then it's prophesied to the breath, son of man. Prophesied to the breath. And breath enters in. They live. They stand. You get this picture. All of these lifeless bodies that have been pieced together by God. When the prophecy comes to the breath, the breath enters into them and they live. And I picture this in unison. All of these bodies go they all stand they all stand and the Bible says an exceedingly great army when you get to verse 11 you learn an important piece of Ezekiel's situation remember earlier when Ezekiel is caused to look at the valley that's filled with dry bones Whose bones are these? It was a question we posed. And perhaps you, as you read it, asked that very same question. Sometimes we have certain questions, but we need to understand that as we read the text and as we have these questions, oftentimes we don't have to come up with our own ideas. We don't have to conjure up answers to the questions that are presented in the text because many times the context answers the questions that we have. And it happens right here in verse 11. It identifies the bones. It says, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Whose bones are these? The whole house of Israel. The whole house of Israel. The nation of Israel represented by these bones. And he says, they indeed say, here's what they say. Our bones are dry. Our hope is lost. We ourselves have been cut off. 
And now right here in verse 11, things are starting to come together a bit for Ezekiel. Listen, when God places us in a valley situation and commands us through his word, our job is to obey. The principle of scripture seems to be that when we obey with the light that's given to us, he ends up providing additional light for our path. Ezekiel didn't know out of the gate what was going to happen. He didn't, he didn't know. He was given instruction what he should do. And what did he do? He obeyed. He obeyed with the word God gave to him. He obeyed. And as he kept obeying, more light was shed on his situation. See, God has been showing Ezekiel, and he's showing us here today, a picture of the whole house of Israel, which on many occasions is described as that rebellious house, that house of idolatry, the house of harlotry. And the captives thought it was over. Remember the context. They're in Babylon. They're in captivity. Ezekiel is in captivity with them. And they're thinking, it's time to pack it in. Hope is lost. We've been cut off from his promises. I love how this text ends. See, the Lord doesn't just bring the bones together. The Lord doesn't just breathe life into them but he instructs them on what he's going to do. He shows them his great love for them. He speaks speaks these words of hope to them, words of encouragement to them. You see, God is not content to let them remain where they are. Captives they may be in Babylon, but one day, look what's going to happen. Look at verse 12. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. So we see here step three. Remember, God is showing his work right in the midst of Ezekiel's presence. Prophesy to the bones. Prophesy to the breath. And now, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy to these people. My people. The word from God to Ezekiel was a word of promise. It was a word of encouragement. It was a word of hope. What we see here in these last few verses are words of restoration, words of renewal. Dry they may have been, but God knows they will one day flourish back in their own land. You see, there's a connection back to the people of God coming back to their own land. Hopeless they may have been, but God knows what's yet to come for his people. He's their anchor of hope. Feeling cut off, they may have been. But God knows those who belong to him. You see, this God that we serve is a covenant-keeping God. He doesn't break his promises. There's resurrection language here in these last few verses, in 12 and 13 in particular. He says, I will open your graves 
and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Perhaps you read those verses and you asked the question, what are the graves alluding to in the text? I think it's important for us to understand the context that we might know what graves he's speaking of. Thinking context, where are the children of God at this point in Ezekiel? They're in Babylonian captivity. Jeremiah and Daniel serve as contemporaries with the prophet Ezekiel. The graves are a vivid description of their present state of captivity. And God says, I will open your graves and cause you to come out and bring you back to Israel. That's what I'm going to do, oh my people. And when they return to Israel, look what the text says. Then you shall know. Then you all shall know that I am the Lord. You see, when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, then you shall know that I am the Lord. In chapter 37, verse 3, Ezekiel answers God's question with, O Lord God, you know. Here in 13 and 14, the last few verses, we see the Lord's words to Israel. There's coming a day when you shall know. With all certainty, you will know that I am the one who brought you out. I am the one who rescued you. I am the one who saved you. I am the one who gave my own son for you. You see, the captives in Babylon would know the truth of God's words following years of captivity. But Ezekiel, I believe, is speaking to the whole house of Israel. He's he's looking forward to a day even further in the future. A day when all Israel will eventually be restored. And I was reminded of Paul's words in, in that difficult chapter in Romans, chapter 11. Romans 9, 10, and 11 can be kind of puzzling and be kind of difficult for us to grasp. But I was drawn to this passage in in Romans chapter 11, verse 15. For if their being cast away, that's Israel, if their being cast away is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be? But listen to the phrase he uses, life from the dead. Life from the dead. Just a few verses later he says, and so all Israel will be saved. Friends, we have restoration and we have renewal. We have resurrection language here. And God is not only breathing life into his captive people in Ezekiel's day, but he's doing the very same thing yet today. In fact, he did it in your life. If you are in Christ Jesus today, he resurrected you. He saved you. You were going one way. You were going on a trip to hell and God got your attention. Now you're not going that way. You are one of his children Praise God. We sing about that song at the beginning, the resurrection, the resurrection song. Friends, that ought to brighten us up. We ought to sing that one with joy in our faces, with spring in our step, because he saved us. He's been raised, and if we're with Christ, we too have been raised with him. And that is good news. You see, 
He's doing the very same thing. What we read here in Ezekiel 37, by the very same means, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we too can live. And that, friends, is how we're intended to live yet today, by the Holy Spirit poured out in our hearts. Romans 5, 5. God's love. God's love. It's God's love poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us. Did you ever think about it that way? That he gave you his Holy Spirit being in Christ Jesus. He poured out his love for you in giving you his Holy Spirit. That's his love extended. It's meant to empower us. It's meant to direct us in the course of our living each day. And one needs only look at the early church to look for the Spirit-controlled vessels. Amen? The early church. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out. The church catapults forward, living the abundant life that Jesus spoke of. Jesus comes and he says in John chapter 10, I came that they might have life, not just any old life, but abundant life. That's why I came. And that abundant life is only going to be possible, friends, through the power of the Holy Spirit in you. If you have not the Spirit in you, you do not belong to Jesus Christ. I didn't make that up. That's in the Bible, in Romans chapter 8. The Spirit, the Bible says, gives life. The Spirit gives life. Ezekiel and Jeremiah both point the child of God to the life source that's needed. The new covenant way of living. This new covenant, when His Holy Spirit gets poured out in your life, Friends, do you know that you'll never be the same again? You'll never be the same again when the Spirit of God is poured out in your life. And some of you here today might be feeling like the house of Israel felt while they were in captivity. You might be feeling dry. You might be feeling crusty. You might be feeling old. You might be feeling all these different things. You might be feeling like all hope is lost. You might be feeling like you're just cut off from God. God seems so distant. God's not distant. You're the one who's distancing yourself from God. He's always there. He's always been there. And he's given to you a life source to live by. God's done that. One writer said, the Holy Spirit's job is to make you alive. Love that. We don't have to manufacture what it is to be alive. The Holy Spirit... His job is to make you alive, and only the Holy Spirit can do it. He goes on and he says, the Lord does more than just raise people from the dead. He raises them from dead situations. Some of you have dead situations right now. It looks really bad. It looks awful. Dead situations. Listen, he's the imparter of life wherever life is missing. So can these dry bones live? You might be feeling like the captives in Babylon... Dry, distant, discouraged. You might feel hopeless, like life isn't ever going to get any better. You might be walking around today like Eeyore, woe is me. I'm here to tell you this morning from God's word, things are going to get better. Things can get better. Things according to his word will get better if you are in Christ Jesus. While your situation in the immediate may not change, you still may be working through a trial, but God may be placing you in your valley right now so that you can see Him, so that you get your eyes off of yourself, so that you get your eyes off of your circumstance and look to the sun and live. That's where life comes from. Breathe, Holy Spirit. 
on this place. Breathe, Holy Spirit, on those here who need to know who you are. From the four winds, O Lord, blow mightily upon the hearts of each one. See, the Lord specializes in freeing captives. In fact, that's what Jesus said himself in Luke chapter 4 as he's quoting a passage from Isaiah He came to set captives free, didn't he? God works the question out before Ezekiel to see. And he's also worked things out, friends, in your life that you too might see and know. He did that through sending his son Jesus. Jesus came that you might have life abundantly, but Jesus came that you might know him. This is eternal life that you, that you may know him, the only true God and Jesus Christ. John chapter 17, verse 3. That's eternal life that you might know him and his son whom he sent. And he poured out his Holy Spirit that you might know him as well as you walk each day, as you walk moment by moment, that you might have the power of his spirit working in you, that you might truly live. See, the Lord God worked redemption's plan and he desires that you be a part of it. God is working out the situation that you are in. But no, friends, he's going to work it out and he wants to involve you in working it out. He wants you to be able to see what he's doing. He wants you to be able to see that you're a part of his plan. Some of us like the idea of being in the stands. We like to be a spectator. We like to just watch. We like to be passive. No, if we are in Christ Jesus, he's called us to be a participant. He's called us to get in the game, to be a part of what he's doing. He's called us to speak his name. And like an exceedingly great army, the song we're going to sing here in just a moment, I believe it was the picture that came to mind as I was thinking about Ezekiel prophesying to the breath and, and seeing those lifeless bodies all of a sudden have life and rise to their feet. I was thinking about, oh, church, arise. Oh, church, arise. Walk by the power of the Spirit. Know that the Lord, He is God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For your good word, we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for this word that you've given to us. Father, I pray for those here today who've heard your word. Lord, I pray they would have ears to hear. They would take what you have said and spoken in your word. That they would apply this to their lives and understand, yes, these bones represented the whole house of Israel in Ezekiel's day. And there's some prophecies there uh, along with that. But Lord, we also know there's application. And we also know as we read this text, we can see ourselves here in this text. Father, there may be some here this morning who needed to hear this word. Some who have been dry, disconnected, discouraged hopeless, feeling like they're cut off. And Father, I pray your word would breathe life into them and that through the power of your Holy Spirit, 
Father, you would enable them to walk in newness of life. The newness that you've called for being in Christ Jesus. Every day, not just Sunday, every day, moment by moment, we are reminded of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, you've given to us all the power we need for godliness and living. And may we, Father, as your children, walk and keep in step with the Spirit. May we, like a mighty army, rise together and walk together in the power of the Spirit for your kingdom, for your glory, for your honor. Father, I pray that you be pleased with your church here at Hope in Christ. May we walk in this way. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.